0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, nice to be with you. I think it's been, yeah, a couple of years since I've uh, preached here. For those of you who don't know me, uh, there's a few unfamiliar faces, at least to me anyway. My name is uh, Rob Snow. I teach at Ambrose University in uh, the area of New Testament and Biblical Studies. And uh, this is my home church, and so it's great to be here today and to see some of you youth. I got to preach at you in July. You may You may fall asleep today, not because of me, I hope, but because you've been awake and you look very tired, but (laughs) I I won't make this too painful for you. Speaking of pain, um, I know for a fact that I don't like it. And I also know for a fact that my wife, Jen Snow, who is actually in pain this morning and is not feeling well, has a much, much higher tolerance of pain than I do why, you might ask, because I watched firsthand the births of my three children several, well, many years ago now, and at one point I remember thinking, is she really going to make it through this? And one thing that, another piece that I did learn through this that didn't help her pain was as I was coaching her along through her labor, I was snacking on some Doritos chips, (laughs) and the smell of those chips was not helping her at all, <laughs> Jen. you might be asleep now, but if you 're not watching this, you are the center of my introduction today. <laughs> I think the form of pain though that i would uh, that I do enjoy the least is pain from needles and it's it is probably just the the waiting for it and then you find out okay that jab wasn't as bad so currently I have a little bit of pain in my hip these days and I've been going for some physiotherapy and the uh, the physio puts these needles into into my hip and, and as I'm waiting there and I got my mask on which I'm chewing through I'm lying on my side and I just know it's coming but then I'm like I'm in a public space and I can't squeal right now which I really want to do It was at the beginning some squealing, but now I've adjusted to it. So if you're like me, pain is not much fun, but the avoidance of pain is actually age old. Uh, You might have heard, or not, of a group called the Epicureans, and the Epicureans, well, they didn't like pain either. And and some people feel, and kind of if you happen to use this phrase, epicurean extravaganza, like this weekend was an epicurean extravaganza. I know you're not kind of manifesting that right now, but it's it's a fun time, right? And so, Epicureans, they like fun times, but the thing with, with ancient Epicureans is that they only like pleasure so much as there's no pain involved. So, that's a kind of a tight rope to walk. But my point is, in case you're wondering, the avoidance of pain is age old. There were many Jews in Paul's day that believe that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, and, uh, sorry, was the Messiah, and Paul was like, no, Jesus is definitely not the Messiah Messiah is a king who is going to come and like overthrow the Romans and the uh, and these oppressors who are making life difficult for people who lived in the land of Judea and and but yet this thing was this this gospel about Jesus Messiah was taking off and people were believing in Jesus Messiah but Messiah's uh, aren't divine Messiahs don't remember last week Stephen oh, he's gone but um, Stephen preached Preached a great sermon on Stephen from Acts 7. I thought that'd be kind of funny, but maybe not. Anyway, <laughs> Stephen Esther Brooks preached a sermon about Stephen the martyr, and. Um, When Stephen was just about to die as he was being martyred, he looked up and saw uh, Jesus. He was standing, but seated at the right hand of God. Well, he got up from his chair, I guess. But he's at the right hand of God, and that connotes a level of divinity and authority and power to a Messiah. And it's like, what? Uh Uh-uh. So Paul approved of the murder of Stephen, and Paul made it his life mission to go around and... You're wondering where the pain business went to in this sermon. Well, it's coming back right now. Was inflicting pain on people. He would he would travel around uh, Jerusalem and arrest men and women who were Jesus following Jews and have them uh, bound and taken to prison. And, and it just wasn't enough for Paul to stay around in Jerusalem. He he had to go all the way to Damascus, which. For us, in the in the era of air travel, isn't very far at all. But if you have to walk there, it would take you like six days to walk from Jerusalem to Damascus in modern day Syria. And he did the same thing. Bless you, Hannah. He did the same thing. He went and and bound men and women and took them all the way back to Jerusalem. Imagine being, and and it happens in the world today, right? People forcibly being taken from their homes, maybe for political reasons, maybe for religious reasons, but the dislocation that happens on a variety of levels and and that um, experience is extremely traumatic. And, And here's Paul inflicting so much pain on others. Can you think of a time when maybe you have inflicted pain on someone you love, but you knew or thought at the time that you were doing the right thing? And if I was to call Sophie up here right now, who's on her phone, um, if I was to call Sophie up here right now, so I'm a professor and I just call things out when I see them. So don't be on your phone, no sometimes I go on my phone in church, and I'm sorry about that, but I'm a a multitasker. I was also wondering, could somebody get me a glass of water? Yeah, so I'm just really parched up here. So anyway, the phone calling things out. Yes, so my children, my children, Sophie and Nathan and Maggie, who's in the nursery, um... I bet there are times where you felt that I was inflicting pain on you that was unjust. That wasn't called for. (laughs) Right? Yeah, I I thought so. But yet, from my perspective, I felt I was doing the right thing. Since Jen isn't here today, I think we would probably all agree that Jen's maybe a better disciplinarian than I am, and so maybe, yeah. But anyway, you get the idea. We all have these moments. I remember when I was a youth pastor, it it became apparent to me that, uh, thank you, that we needed a youth room. And youth rooms are great because when you're a youth pastor, you need a place for youth to hang out, like we have at our church. And um, so, but the room that they had given uh, me to work with at the church that I worked at that time was a junk room. It was just packed full of junk that it had accumulated, as happens in rooms that are unoccupied in churches. Right. So I, I saw this pool table there, and I figured, man, this thing has got to go. And so uh, I got a, another youth together. I was 20 three at the time and didn't really know about pool tables. so That's an important little piece of information you need to know. But, but I knew how we could get rid of this pool table and it involved a hammer. And, and there was me and another youth and we just went to town on this thing. Just had it in a pile of rubble in no time. And, and I thought it was interesting that the pool was actually made of rock. Like there was this big hunk of rock that was like the, the basis of the table, and I thought, wow, why would they like overbuild that that way? Well, anyway, apparently there was an individual in the church who had donated that pool table, and, and he had found out that I destroyed his pool table, and, and the look on his face it just, it, just, it just went white, and, and I realized that, that that rock was actually slate, and it's, and it's quite expensive, and, and there was nothing wrong with that pool table, and I had just, in the name of making a space for my youth, just totally inflicted pain on the life of someone else. I'll give you one more. Um, I used to work with children. And uh, believe it or not, and uh, and for a whole summer I was charged running vacation Bible schools, day camps, the whole nine yards. And um, I don't know, like... Whatever happened, that kind of level of authority that I was delegated kind of went to my head and, and I started bossing the other interns around. I just didn't feel they were working hard enough and they just needed some leadership. And, and I overheard them complaining about me, that, that I was bossy and arrogant and all of this stuff and, 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 I yeah, I was bringing some pain into their lives. So before you cast aspersions on me, just think about your own lives. Maybe you have done it. Yourself too. Going back to Paul in the pain business, not only does Paul, and maybe like some of us have done, uh, inflict pain on others, but Paul also inflicts pain on himself. And Paul, in his conversion experience, scholars debate on the road to Damascus. Is it a conversion or kind of an illumination of sorts? We'll just cast that aside. Let's call it a conversion. So, Paul, on his Damascus Road experience, has a very, I would say, a traumatic conversion experience. Like, he's, well, do we have the medieval piece of art? There it is. So, so here's one medieval artists, and it's medieval because there's no horses in, uh, in that period, I think, in the Greco-Rome. Anyway, that doesn't matter. So, here's Paul. He gets knocked off his I don't know, looks like an ox to me, but anyway, he gets knocked off this animal. And this is when that Sophia, the, the, the passage she had read earlier, he hears the voice of the Lord, "Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me?" And, and uh, he says, "Who are you, Lord?" And, and he says, "I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting." So it's like there's this tight solidarity between the people of God and Jesus Christ. So if you're hurting the people of God, you hurt Jesus." So, so, Paul has been inflicting pain on them, and it's like, it's like the, the pain that Paul has inflicted on others now is kind of, in a sense, kind of come back, is coming back on him. There's a connection between it in some way, and, and he doesn't look like he's having a great time there. I mean, I always, when I show this piece of art, when I teach Acts and intro to the Bible, one thing that strikes me about it, this is totally unrelated, is, is Paul's quadriceps. I mean, that guy has been hitting the gym. Um, Or maybe that medieval artist has really been feeling guilty about not going to the gym. I don't know, but man, anyway, that just jumps out at me. So there's Paul. He's down on the ground, and he's blinded as a result of this conversion experience. He is blinded and then has to be led by these soldiers and buff men. They lead him by the hand back into Damascus. So what a fall, right, that that Paul has experienced as a result of, of basically, right, his persecution of Christians. Now God has to get his attention. And I think he has such a dramatic conversion experience because Paul wouldn't listen to somebody just coming up to him and engaging in some sort of argument about this. It took God himself. But it was a painful experience for Paul, right? On a number of levels that he gets led back into Damascus. And so he has this, uh, this dramatic experience. And if I think back to the pool table debacle, I, when I saw John's face, it's not I know I use John Lowen sermon illustration sometimes, but it's not this John, it's another John. When I think about John's face and just kind of this look of, it's just, it just was abject sadness that I had destroyed his pool table because it made sense, it's worth a lot of money, and he had donated it to the church. When I saw that, I, I didn't really enjoy the way I felt as a result of that right? I I did not feel good about it. I did not feel good about the fact that these summer staff that I had been bossing around all of a sudden were really annoyed with me and didn't like me at all. So, like, inflicting pain on others invariably involves inflicting pain on ourselves, doesn't it? Or maybe if we think about sometimes pain that we inflict on ourselves or certain things that may happen, you know, in in the world of psychology and addictions and so forth, it's it's kind of a, a matter of fact that Folks that are locked into an addiction invariably inflict pain on other people. Maybe it's because they're not open to receiving the help and intervention that they need, and only loved ones can look on, right, and and hope and pray that they'll get the help that they need. So it's not like, I wouldn't say pain is kind of a contagious thing, but it's certainly within the context of relationship, it can easily spill over, right, into the lives of others. And the question that I want to ask ourselves this morning, so where is God in these sort of circumstances as we experience pain ourselves and it spreads to others or vice versa? Where is God in the midst of these things when pain seems to be so easily experienced. And, and if we think about, and I know you've heard it lots of times, but but the level of, of mental health of, of youths, particularly in young adults, seems to be that's the world I'm most familiar with in, in higher education, that the, the level of mental health of students has greatly deteriorated as a result of COVID and, and the, the isolation of health restrictions and so forth. And so, so this is a real issue for us within the church, right? Pain that people experience individually and how that that passes on to others? How do you help people in pain? And then on top of that, where is God in the midst of these things? Well, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see very clearly that, that pain and suffering are not foreign experiences to God. And in fact, God gets involved in situations of, of pain and suffering, and more so even redeems pain and suffering for His good purposes. Jesus even says to Paul that, the, that you will actually suffer for my name. And why will he suffer? Because of Paul's proclamation of the gospel. Now, I do have to say one little caveat sometimes. People who are in relationship um, will sanctify that pain and say sometimes, well, it's the cross I have to bear. Okay, the pain that I'm talking about with Paul as he suffers for the gospel is not that pain. That that is pain that's coming as a result of his proclamation and the pushback he gets from various political leaders. Pain that we experience within interpersonal relationships needs to be have some well-meaning fellow believer come up to you and say, well, as you're in your pain, God's in your pain, and, and it's God's will that you have that pain, and, and then that's even harder to hear, and for me, it would be even harder not to inflict some pain on them in return for saying such things, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that's true, if we're real. So we don't like to have pain, and sometimes comments receives and validates pain. It kinda, it, we, we perceive that somebody is trying to soften the pain. But pain is pain, let's just own that. Because we live in a fallen world where pain exists. And pain, stress, anxiety makes life very hard to navigate. Oftentimes, pain inhibits our ability to think clearly, to experience things properly. Sometimes pain sows seeds of hopelessness and despair where you're left wondering, will these trials, whatever they are, ever end? But there's a number of times going back to Acts where God shows up in very difficult and traumatic situations. He shows up in prisons. He shows up in persecutions. He shows up in shipwrecks. God doesn't turn a blind eye to a pain, but in fact draws near to us in the midst of these circumstances. The thing is, and that Waymaker song is, I I like the one phrase in there where it says, even though we may not feel it, right? Because I think the the thing that I want you to take away with this is sometimes within church contexts, experience gets elevated to a very high level. But what if you're kind of like me right now, and I won't get into me right now, it's very hard to experience the presence of God. What what else is there if sometimes people have trouble experiencing something? Well, we also have our minds, right? And our minds are different from our emotions. And, and we need, our emotions are important, our minds are important, rationality. God gave all of these things because they're who we are. It's what it means to be created in the image of God. But if you're kind of like me right now, having trouble experiencing the presence of God, we can rely on our minds and realize and call to mind the truth of God's word which is always true regardless of the things that we experience. And so I want to do something this morning just as a little exercise from Philippians chapter 3, verse, no, 4. Yeah, this one. So this is a a passage of Scripture that um, is probably, well, I think, what was it, verse 6. Do not worry about anything. It was my mom's favorite passage. So I want us to read through this passage and think about, do you see more, what do you see more of? What jumps out at you? And we're not going to do a, like a discussion on this after. If we were just a class, we would talk about it, but we won't do that because we're going to end this thing. Um, are, is there more emotional kind of language? Is there more kind of mind, rational sorts of language? Well, let's read through it. We're all going to read through it together. So we're just going to do it at the same time. I find these things a little hard because, I don't know, it's hard to read as a group sometimes, but we're going to try it, okay? So I'm going to just jump in with rejoice, and you jump in with rejoice too. Okay, here we go. And then we're going to click through it. Yes, all right. Uh, (laughs) All right. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if we could like shrink the words down and put it all up at once, This, well, but maybe you have your Bible, I don't know. The thing that I want you to take away from this is that we got emotion language in verse 4, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. But if we're honest, there's times where you just don't feel like rejoicing. Even though Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, but we just have to be honest. There's just times where I'm not feeling it. And then, so it's emotion language, right? But then you go down to verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it's not your hearts and minds will experience in Jesus Christ, It's will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the peace and the presence of God is something that that puts a, a protective layer over our 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 soul, our, our inner being, our mind and our heart that's outside of what we can experience. Like the Greek word, I looked it up. I'll show it to you later. It's, it's the same language about kind of guarding something that's special, that needs to be basically protected, that's worthy of protection. And, and there's no kind of emotion language there. When you look at this verse, though, bracketing emotion language and more rational language, in the very middle is this. It's like two words in Greek, kurios and "Goose." the Lord is near. The Lord is near. What's so fundamental about this is that the Lord is near when we feel like rejoicing, and the Lord is near when we're not feeling it, but he's protecting us and with us in ways that we don't even experience or feel. So the words of that song, or that song is like so true. Even when I don't feel it, you are there. And, and I felt the Lord laid this sermon on my heart. Maybe it's a sermon for me. But, but the Lord is near us. No matter our experiences and no matter the sense in which we are making of our experiences, the Lord is near us. And so I would encourage you to, to pray this prayer. You know, the, I'll finish with this last point. The Lord is near. That, that language of being near is taken from the book of Leviticus where priests would draw near to the presence of God. As Moses drew near to the presence of God, what happened? Like his light, his, his face you know, went bright, they're drawing near to something. But now there's a shift that has occurred with the coming uh, of Jesus, the resurrection, the giving of the Spirit, that the presence of God now draws near to us wherever we are. So if it's in the dark of the night and you can't sleep because of the worry, the concern about health issues, say this verse over to yourself. Even if you don't feel it in the midst of anxiety, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. There's a lot of prayer traditions that that highlight repetition. In fact, just... Some throwaway trivia, well it's not throwaway, some trivia here for you. You know, there's a whole kind of Jewish rule book that's all about how to apply the law in a variety of different circumstances, and it's called the Mishnah. Mishnah is a Hebrew word which means repetition. So it's, it's like this ancient tradition tells us that we need to repeat these truths to ourselves so that we can have them ingrained in our head, and as we do this, the Spirit of God enlivens His truth in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your presence and your love and goodness to us. And Lord, whether we feel you or not, your truth tells us that you are near and that you are here. And so we stand on that word this day. And we also believe that you are a God of hope, that you are a God of joy. And in this kind of climate, this this period in which we live, in which mental distress and anxiety seems quite high, we, we claim even more of this promise that you are near and present to us. So come, Spirit, fill our hearts and our minds with your presence, and may even when we don't feel it, know, because your word is true, that you are here. In your name, amen. I think it's a really important and powerful word for us to receive, for us to know. And we sometimes stir up our emotions, try to get ourselves feeling what we need to feel. But I truly believe that even right now, if you were to just whisper, Lord Jesus, please come near. Lord Jesus, please come near. That he hears that, he responds, and that he's able to do a work in your life. Would you stand to receive the benediction for today? May you go knowing that our Lord is closer than your very breath, that he is integrating himself into your life day after day in beautiful and mysterious ways. May you receive that truth in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be dismissed.